Good morning. I've gotten up. I've had my vitamins. I'm drinking my coffee. I uh, hope you had a good 4th of July weekend. It's Tuesday. It's Tuesday, everybody. Um, welcome to After the Gig. I'm Jesse. Um, thanks for joining me. Thanks for joining me here this week. And uh, sorry, I was away last week. Couldn't do it. Finally kind of caved because I really wanted to keep this show. Um, wanted to keep the show really good and keep it going and not have you have to listen to me rant by myself for weeks on end while we deal with this pandemic. But um, I have accepted the Zoom podcast. The biggest, the biggest thing for me about talking to people and interviewing people is the fact that um, I just need to see them. I need to see their their face. I need to see their reactions. I need to kind of see the body language and and stuff like that. And getting together with someone in the same room is really no replacement for that. But the Zoom thing has been great. And, you know, I'm kind of jumping on board pretty late um, when it comes to that. But better late than never, guys. Today, I have a really, really great guest, uh, Rob Griffith, the drummer from Bronze Radio Return. So Rob and I met each other in 2010. Um, There's a little bit of this in the description of the episode, but in 2010, I was playing drums with Dan Mills. I was also playing drums with my old band, Love in Stockholm, but um, Bronze Radio Return decided to take us on the road, and we got to hang out. We got to travel around, do the little northeast regional thing. We got as south as, as far south as, uh, as D.C., I think we did. We played New York. I remember we played the bitter end in New York, and it was just like playing the bitter end in New York. Yeah, there's all this prestige to it because Bob Dylan played there, and you know, countless other musicians played there. But man, that place is a shithole, and it's I don't necessarily think it's uh, run awesome. Um, it's one of the only clubs in New York that doesn't have a house drum kit so you're forced to bring your own drums in there and uh and there's no room there's no room for anything there's barely any green room in the back and it's filled with garbage so i remember not this particular instance but another time i played at the bitter end i had to bring my drum kit and then take it off onto the front uh, onto the sidewalk in new york city in the west village to pack up my drums and while people are walking by you know we're getting asked if we want to buy cocaine (laughs) like it was really really bizarre but anyway we met those guys and um they're all from connecticut they all went to the heart school we had a connection between our guitarist aka engineer mark adele because they all went to the heart school together so there was that connection there it was it was one of those tours where you just go out there and your friends right from the start and you do everything together and it was super fun we even did tour pranks at the end um i will put the link to the video in the description but bronze Ray return they had a big uh their big trailer so we would keep we would keep some gear in their trailer one of those pieces of gear was our merch case so it was like a kind of a suitcase looking road case that had t-shirts, CDs, whatever in it. And one day we found that, uh, that road case during the tour, we found the road case on eBay. (laughs) So they, they had taken pictures 
they made a description. Um, I'm going to try to find, see if, if Dan has like a screenshot of it or something, but <clears throat> it was pretty funny. So we decided we needed to get them back. And one day, uh, we took, we, we shot a lot of footage, a lot of video from that tour. Um, I'd lo- love to see some of it, but, uh, they, uh, w- actually from that, we shot footage from that, um, that show at the bitter end. So it's, it's them. It's pretty much pretty multicam. And then, you know, you got everyone in the shot and I don't know if you know anything about, uh, shreds videos, but we made our own bronze radio shreds video. So that's up on YouTube somewhere. I'll try to find the link and toss it in this description for this episode. But long story short, those guys, they're all so great. Um, Rob has played drums with Stephen Kellogg as well. Um, so we, can, we have that connection. We've both done that gig. Um, and we talk about a lot of that stuff. A lot about, um, I think Rob asked me later on about um, why and how I joined Carbon Leaf. Get into that story. This is actually a part one of a two-parter because um, we talked for quite a while. But before we get to the episode... Just thought I'd like to tell you about the Patreon page for After the Gig. I've added a new tier. It's a high one. It's a big one. Um, but if you're already in there or if you're new to the Patreon page, you can swap out your current tier level and then swap back when you're, when um, that tier has been fulfilled. It's a one-on-one zoom lesson of your choice drums guitar voice or hang or a question section session whatever you want to do we'll be hanging and that's a tier on the uh and that's a tier on the patreon i can explain a lot of stuff if you have any you know other questions whatever carbon leaf stuff doesn't matter doesn't matter sky's the limit so go check that out patreon.com slash after the gig and there's also other tiers and ways that you can support the podcast so moving on, I have a question from Katie Musselman, speaking of, pod, uh, of Patreon questions and Patreon tiers. Uh, here we go. Let's get in there. Let's get in there. Anyways, I'll just skip this first part. The recent concert given by country musician Chase Rice brought up some questions about the artists and responsibility they have during this time. While Rice has asked his fans to be safe for his upcoming drive-in concerts, he has offered no apology or indicated no regret about the approximately 1,000-person show where masks were not in abundant use um, from what I read, his team refused to respond and the venue insists that it could not enforce the physical distancing recommend, uh, recommended in the signage posted across the property. So my question is, what do you view as a responsibility of the artist in planning and executing a show during these times? From initially choosing and working with a venue to determine if the show is possible, to understanding or establishing guidelines, even up to imploring fans to follow the guidelines, not only for the safety of those in attendance, but also that they don't blow it for artists who have future shows planned. <clears throat> what do you view as a responsibility of the artist, the venue, the fans? Um, 
Thank you for that really, really great question. Um, so they're kicking around. Uh, oh, I'll just finish it. We are kicking around if our family feels comfortable during the road trip, uh, doing the road trip to Richmond for the drive-in show. It is hard to think <clears throat> that it might be the only show that we see for the rest of the year that might be enough to get us to do the drive. Hope you're well, Katie. Thanks, Katie. A lot there. First of all, Carbon Leaf playing a show playing a drive-in show i don't know how i feel about it because i have to get on a plane and i have to go to the airport and i have to deal with all this stuff so that is going to be you know obviously a risk and a challenge and it's something i'm thinking about and uh something i'm nervous about because it's out there guys it's out there gotta wear the mask it has nothing to do like it's it's just unbelievable how uh how wearing a mask has been politicized in some way. And I, I don't understand it. And if someone uh, wants to explain it to me, uh, you can send me an email to after the gig pod at gmail.com. As far as I see it, it's a small thing that we can all do to protect each other. We're still in the middle of this thing. It hasn't even been a year. So just think about that. It's a small blip and a small price to pay to potentially saving lives. Anyway, <clears throat> so on to Chase Rice. Chase Rice, who the F do you think you are? And I think a lot of the, uh, a lot of the um, articles that were written about him called him a country star and a country whatever. They're really thrown around that word star pretty, uh, pretty willy-nilly. Because that guy is not a star. I don't even know who he was before before he did this really stupid thing. As far as responsibility, responsibility falls on everybody. I mean, if the venue couldn't figure out, uh, or if the venue couldn't enforce six feet distancing, wearing a face mask, then you don't have the show. You don't have the show. The reason why they aren't commenting is probably because this idiot posted a picture that he wasn't supposed to and they were trying to pull a fast one because this guy this guy wanted to play a show was selfish and um wanted to put these people in harm's way it's like this is exactly the type of thing getting that many people in one area and uh the exact thing jumping the gun you see all the case cases rising that are going to get us in another lockdown at the end of the year, in the fall, in the winter. It's, it's, it's just inevitable. It's inevitable. Especially if people are going to be selfish and just downright stupid. I can't say if, if those people felt uncomfortable or not. But if they know what's going on in the world, I would, I would feel uncomfortable. Um, I wouldn't want to be around that many people without a face mask, close in, sweating on each other, singing lyrics. Um, you know, it's just, it's like, it's a Petri dish. <laughs> it's just like, someone's gonna get sick and spread this thing. So I don't think, I don't think it, it was a good idea. I don't think it was a good look. I think his lack of apology is, is ridiculous. I support the drive-in shows. I mean, if people are doing it the right way, you have to be able to support it. It's a different, it's a different thing. <clears throat> it's going to be a different thing uh, and it's going to be a different experience. And I'm sorry if it's not exactly how you wanted it to be, but we're going through a thing right now. 
Now, don't get me wrong. <clears throat> I want this to be over. Personally, I'm not like super scared every time I go out the door. When I go outside, I keep my mask below my mouth or I don't have it on unless I'm around people. I think from what I've read, the dangers of it spreading when you're not around anyone, when you're outside, the risk is incredibly small. That being said, I am not an expert. I am not a doctor. I, I don't know what I'm talking about. But if concerts are going to go forward in venues, everybody needs to be on the same page. I don't know if this was just a publicity stunt. He just wanted to be the person to say, all right, well, somebody's got to do it first. And he posted the picture to be like, hey, check me out. It didn't matter if it was going to be negative or positive. It was just a way to get everybody to talk about him, which is, you know, I'm doing it, talking about him. If that was the reason why he did what he did and the venues did what he did and they wanted to um, grab that fan base that doesn't think that this thing is real, then I'm sure it was probably pretty effective. I'm sure he has gained fans because of it. And the the risk or the reward, if, if, if this is even, I don't even know if this is how, I'm just, this is all conjecture. But his reward was way bigger than his risk. People are talking about him and the people that wouldn't necessarily care about being in a packed venue with a bunch of people without masks or any social distancing, without any tape uh, or guidelines on the floor or whatever. Those fans are going to stick with him beyond the time that we all forget about who Chase Rice is. So if that was the goal, it was probably effective. But here's the thing. If you want things to go forward normally, or if you want to get back to that normal place, you got to wear a mask around a bunch of people. You got to do it. It's like, it's common decency. It makes people feel a lot more comfortable. I'm not going to go into a room without a mask and make someone feel comfortable just because I, you know, I'm throwing a, throwing a temper tantrum. And listen, I'm definitely not on board with the booking agents. I think what they're doing is irresponsible. Um, just going ahead without coming together and figuring this thing out in a safe way and uh, getting on the same page as the rest of the mu music industry. And again, let me be clear. I'm talking about this specific instance and these specific people that made this show happen. But I understand that people are hurting. People need to get out there and work. If you're not working, it's, it's not good for you. You know, the, the entertainment industry is, is not coming back the same way that, other, you know, people can go back to their jobs. Um, you know, restaurants are opening back up. They can do takeout food. We can't do anything. We can't. I know Broadway uh, musicians and, and actors, they can't work. They cannot do it because they cannot go back. And there has been no help. Um, the only help is that is, is from, from the fans that want to support artists and uh, 
do do those great things to help us along and and help us not uh get down in our spirits but there's going to be there's going to be artists and there's going to be bands that don't make it out of this um that take other jobs and cannot cannot get back into it and it's sad um it's it's not a good time for artists right now. Not a good time at all. And everyone's trying to figure something out and uh, adapt to it. But the arts are important. And I, and I can't stress it enough. And I know it's an intangible for a lot of people. And it's like, oh, we don't, you know, that's not something. But it, it's, it's our culture. It's, it's culture. It's culture in, in, in this country. It's culture around the world. It, it's just so important and it's getting such little respect and um, there isn't a leader in the fight to try to get it back or try to get some help. You know, you have bailouts going to billionaires and we don't see anything. I don't know if it's because they think that the job is not a viable job and it doesn't mean anything, but... I'm sorry. If you're not listening to music or watching movies, how many Netflix shows, how many uh, Hulu shows or whatever, uh, uh, Hulu originals and, and current shows have you watched during this whole thing? I think I've watched them all. <laughs> Those people can't work. They can't work. And like the powers that be don't give a fuck. They do not give a fuck about us. And that's the truth. That is the truth. So I don't know if signing a fucking petition that just gets lost on the internet is going to do anything, but I'll tell you what definitely isn't going to do anything. It's going out there and being an irresponsible artist, an irresponsible venue. That venue shouldn't be able to fucking open again after what they did. Fuck those people. It's absolutely ridiculous absolutely ridiculous everybody here is suffering and he goes out there and plays a show as if nothing is happening you know they're already calling for for restaurants and stuff to shut down again in california texas it's like it's 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 inevitable that that the damage of opening too soon is going to put us back to where we were. You know, the damage to artists and and bands and stuff is going to be irreparable. It's just it's it makes me uh, it makes me really mad. It makes me anxious. It makes me uh, it makes me cringe. So that is uh, that's just kind of where we are. We're just going to get lost in the. Uh, um, in, in, in this thing. And then, uh, and then that'll be it. Everything will eventually come back and then the arts will have to scrape and claw their way back. And it's not bad enough that funding for the arts and everything have been grossly cut. Some of my best times growing up were, were in the band room and, uh, and, and choir and, you know, I'm sorry to tie all this together, but it's, it's really bad. It's really, really bad. And a lot of those cuts started happening when I was in high school and in middle school and we made the best of it. But, and then you see sports and everything thrive. And I'm not saying anything bad about sports. I think sports are great. You know, it's just, I'm just using it as an example, but it's an outlet 
for kids who have nowhere else to go and no, nothing else to do. They can put their headphones on and escape into a different world. It's for, you know, the businessman on Wall Street that is that is so stressed out of his mind that uh, needs to sit in the car and wind down and listen to some music and probably do a bunch of drugs, but um, also listen to music after a long day of wanting to jump off a building. It's for everybody. And it's not getting the respect it deserves. It's not getting the help it deserves. And uh, it's in danger of going away. And uh, I don't think we can survive without that. So not to get super heavy, and this has been longer than I thought it would be, but long story short, to answer your questions, fuck the venue, the artist, they're assholes. They're pieces of shit. It was, uh, it, it was incredibly stupid. And I think that if they apologize about it and they said it got away from us, sure. Understandable. You wanted to get out there. We, we get it. But the fact that they're not apologizing and they don't give a shit means they don't care about you. So that's it. I am done with the spiel. Thanks for the questions. Thanks for listening. Um, I hope you enjoyed this episode with Rob Griffith. And I forgot to mention at the end of this is a sneak preview exclusive of their new song still wandering. So make sure you stay tuned for that. It's a really, really great song, really, really great band and a really, really great guy. Please enjoy this conversation with the great Rob Griffin. Meet me by the river when the sun's going down. Make a little fire, pass a bottle round. Need no pants, so follow all the sound. Oh, I see you down there. You can tell she's there. feel like we're just in we've reached a whole other whole other like thing that we're not used to as as humans <laughs> you know just like all right where's the finish line especially for people like you and me who are, are who are our livelihoods kind of depend on playing in front of people and and doing entertainment-esque things um, it's just been like, it's been, diff- it's been a little difficult, you know, and, and just to not know when it's going to end has been, has been tough, has been pretty tough yeah. mentally. That's, that's the scary thing is just not the, the unknowns of, you know, when will the concert industry come back online? When will we be able to safely tour again? How, how will it get phased back in? Yeah. You know, it's it's not like it's not like one day everyone's just going to be able to start hitting the road again, you know, with all the planning that goes into everything, you know, we're we're going to look at months of lag time before even once it feels okay to go back out and tour, you know, it's just impossible to plan for it right now. Right. Right. Yeah, and you know, with uh, I don't know about you guys and and we'll get into what you guys have going on, but um Carbon Leaf t- uh, pretty much books like a year in advance. Mm, and, yeah. um, you know, we're just looking at things and, and, and in my head, I'm like, all right, well, if the summer gets canceled, which it has, um, if the summer gets canceled, then if they, people want, if people want to reschedule, everyone is kind of like, all right, we'll cancel this, but we'll reschedule a few months out, see what happens that now you're running into people's fall tour dates in, in the same venues. You can't really, 
you can't really reschedule past a certain point. So I think most of the summer stuff has moved to either next summer or next spring. Who knows? Um, so it, it's yeah, it's it's just kind of. I'm worried about the fall. I'm I'm I actually I'm not very optimistic about fall touring. <clears throat> Have you guys like talked with your your agent and kind of took the temperature on what the promoters are saying for the fall or? Everybody, the way the way that it's been um, expressed to me, it's like just a moving target. They're not. No one's making any decisions on anything because no one wants to be the first one to pull the plug. Because then you're like breaching your contract, and you don't get you know uh, whatever deposit. You have to return whatever deposits you made. They've made or so. No one. Everyone's playing like a game of chicken, and. Mm -hmm. It's like this weird thing. It's like, all right, well, we all we all know what's going to happen here. It's like it's it's not out of our control. And I and I saw that this um, <clears throat> this article you just sent me, like one of the first lines is Live Nation is reportedly making drastic changes to the performance fees artists receive and is shifting the burden of risk for concert and music festivals to the performer, which is like cool we don't have it bad or unfair enough <laughs> right <laughs> you know, we're not already the little guy here let's right. make it worse yeah let's just let's just step on them when they're down you know i had to do a double take when i read that article this morning i was just like this this can't be real they're gonna cut artist fees they're gonna i think the one that really got me was that they now if an artist has to cancel for their own reasons that they'll have to pay Live Nation two times what their artist fee was. What? Did you like, see that paragraph? How did, no, <laughs> I, I honestly, I just opened it up. So you can like kind of give me the, the skinny or the low down here, but like, oh, wait a minute. It's only... I, it's pretty short, yeah. It's pretty short. Um, no, I didn't, I didn't see that. So... What? So, you know, you guys, <laughs> you have to cancel because your, your singer's sick or something and you know you're expected then to pay back double what they were supposed to give you is what they're saying there which so I they're mean, just they're just trying to recoup everything they've lost and they're taking it from from the people that are making them the money exactly yeah unbelievable it is unbelievable and it's, it's, and i think it's i think rotten. a lot of this is geared towards like that upper echelon of touring you know the, the right. stadiums and arenas and stuff but i mean live nation owns a lot of venues around the country and a lot of them are smaller i mean they have venues down in the you know few hundred capacity range all the way up so you know this very well could start affecting bands like us like ours too well isn't isn't um isn't the paradise live nation it, it Par could be because well pa paradise and and, and uh, Brighton Music Hall, I'm pretty sure, are both Live Nation venues. And just to like mm. do that to the artists and performers that that play in those two places, it's just gross. It's just gross that they that they would even that's even an option. Um, right. I don't know. I guess I guess Sinclair, where we play. I'm just trying to think of the Northeast venues that that would mostly affect. Um, mostly affect us but i think bowery is is sinclair and um right yeah yeah i don't know i, I can't remember who else is live nation but unbelievable man unbelievable. yeah it's just you know finding another way to take another dollar out of out of the artist's pocket 
I just wonder, like, who is is this just Live Nation making these decisions? That's the sound of it, and and this is a very initial thing because I think what they said in that article is it was a, a letter that was sent around to the agencies about how they're going to change this policy now. Mm. So. I mean, I think what'll be very interesting to see is how this trickles down in the rest of the industry and if other promoters are going to follow suit or if other promoters are going to say, you know what, this this is terrible for the artists. We can't get behind this. And and maybe maybe there'll be other promoters who will take a stance against it. You know, maybe AEG will do something different or the Bowery Presents of the world will do something different. But um, it's it's tough to say at this point. I mean, I'm sure we'll find out more in the coming weeks. Are you um, are you mostly dealing with this stuff when it comes to bronze radio? I know that. Um, uh, yeah, are are is that is that pretty much your ballpark with you guys? I mean, a lot of the a lot of the business side of of things. You know, as far you know, I'm kind of the business representative for the band. Yeah. Um, we have our you know our team of of people that do various things but um you know we've always been very hands-on since day one and um that came from us doing it doing it all ourselves for a while until we were able to slowly assemble a team and so yeah you know i i was in a way i was our initial manager when we were first getting going and booked a lot of our shows as well and um so i've always been very involved with all of that in the loop yeah yeah, yeah, and I, you know, I, I'm always I'm fascinated by the industry, and I, I I know like you, like we both studied music industry at in college, mm-hmm. right? You studied music business at yep. Berkeley, right? And we we oh. had very similar paths in that regard. Oh, you hear me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I hear oh. you came back. Um, so yeah, I I did I studied music business. I was uh, you know pretty much messing around and partying and not being a great student most of the time. Probably <laughs> not as good as you, but. <laughs> Well, I, that, I don't know. I I bet we could compare report cards. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I hope that stuff never sees the light of day. Um, I didn't even want to show my parents my report cards. Um, I uh, yeah. Anyway, I mean, what a what a lousy business to get into, right, Rob? <laughs> you know, right now it just feels like about the worst it's ever been, unfortunately. Yeah. And it's so great in so many ways. I mean, I, I think we have. There's so many amazing artists. There's so many like innovative companies doing really cool things in music right now. But then you just you read something like like this, what we like what we were talking about with Live Nation, and it's just like it's a reality check that you know I don't know we're we're all kind of subjected to these bigger players and what they want to decide happens for the whole industry. You know, kind of the same way Spotify and Apple changed everything a decade ago. And right. You know, I am excited yeah. to see what the bands like the Bronze Radio Returns of the World, the Carbon Leafs of the World, like they like the do-it-yourselfers. I am excited to see how how these bands and these artists and these people come out of it, like you know, just scrapping and fighting for every everything that they get. Um, I am interested to see see what the the transition ends up being for for these bands because i don't see i don't see how bands you can ethan is making an appearance (laughs) um bands like these just don't uh won't like lay down for stuff like that you know and they'll Mm. fight tooth and nail for every for every dime and you know uh 
I'm surprised that in that article or that other things that come out, they will be like, all right, we're going to take a higher percentage of your merch sales. A lot of people don't understand that venues will take merch ticket sales. They'll take VIP ticket sales, um, percentages of that. And upping those percentages, I'm surprised, you know, some, I'm sure they can get away with it with some lesser known artists that, uh, that need to play in these rooms that want to play in these rooms. But I think it's going to be moving to a more uh, DIY approach for even venues, more uh, backyard things, people doing it themselves, selling their own tickets. Um, you know, I don't know. Right. I don't know. I, I, I don't see 600 people in a room jam packed in, in the future, like in the near future that I, I think it's going to happen again, but I don't know. Right. But yeah, we're probably, I mean, we're, we got to be at least a half a year away from that oh, starting to happen again, you know, if, if not a lot longer. You know, some people are predicting it, it'll be this time next year or even the fall of 2021 before things are back online. I mean, obviously, that's all dependent on a vaccine. I think that's really the only thing that's going to going to end this you know yeah the testing uh vaccine whether there's a a big spike like for the second wave and you know people are talking about how the spikes now are the second wave and they're not it's this we're still in we're still in the first the first thing and and i think depending on what happens in the fall and a lot of the stuff that you hear is all doom and gloom it's like it's gonna be so bad you know but we don't know nobody knows and that's the biggest that's the biggest uh problem like i face is that like mentally is that we just don't you can't make any plans you can't plan ahead for anything and when you're used to planning your tours a year out like you're saying you know you're saying you guys yeah. do for carbon leaf and we, we've been doing it the same way for the last few years as well and like you're right how, how the hell do you plan for anything at that point yeah you know yeah i don't know and, and like what you were saying before too, I mean, it's, it's going to be interesting to see, you know, if every band survives this. I mean, I, I know that not every venue is going to survive it and we're starting to hear about venues shutting down and you got to wonder how many bands are, are just not going to be able to, to make it without having their touring revenue or, or have to go on some kind of hiatus. I mean, I have, I have friends that are in full-time touring bands that had to go take on nine to five jobs right now, you know, doing oh, either yeah. remote work or some kind of manufacturing or just something. And, and it's, you know, it's really, it's, it's sad to see. I mean, I'm glad they're, they're able to make ends meet, but it's, it's the reality for, for the touring musician right now. Right. Yeah. I mean, you got, honestly, you have to do what you got to do. It's like, it's basically, it's every industry right now that is having struggles and people needing to get jobs. I mean, I, have to play guitar and sing on Facebook Live. I mean, it's come to that, Rob. It's come to that. <laughs> you, you do an awesome job at that, though. I I love tuning in. So yeah, keep those um, going. Are you? So you mentioned DIY, or we were talking about DIY stuff. Mm -hmm. You guys, I have a drum head that you guys all signed from that tour that we did in, together in 2010. Dan Mills and Wow, yeah, you guys. So I've very fond memories of that tour. That was really, really fun. That was one of the first times that I was, um, that was like one of the first tours that I did with Dan that we actually did a lot of traveling around and it mm -hmm. wasn't a ton of, I think it was just uh, Northeast and maybe DC and stuff. But I remember right. we, we did 10 or 12 shows on that tour. It was, yeah, it was fun. I think, yeah. um, 
I think we might have got as far south as as was it only DC? I can't. I it can't might have really. been DC, or maybe, maybe we went down to like I don't know, maybe Charlottesville or something like that. But yeah, definitely mm. DC. I, I seem to remember us playing the Iota Club. Yes, we played then, the. I- yeah. Is that place still there? That's a good question. I'm I'm not 100 percent sure on that. I hope so. That was that was a cool little spot in Arlington. That was that was a cool spot because I think we played there another time. Um, I don't know. Maybe it wasn't with you guys. I have a terrible memory when it comes to that stuff. But um, <laughs> I just recall the the sheer like magnitude of your of your guys's setup and and how you guys <laughs> brought everything all the road cases because i wasn't used to any of that stuff before and now i play like carbon leaf is the king of the road case and and too much stuff on the road but um <laughs> with with no help <laughs> but um w- how did you guys start doing that was it more of a um, we want to take control of our own show kind of thing, or, um, I don't know. Do you guys just like a lot of stuff? <laughs> we, we needed a good workout before and after every show, <laughs> yeah. you know, we needed to find a way to stay in shape. Didn't um, have enough money I, for gym memberships. So we just r- bought a bunch <laughs> of stuff to move in and you got out of a road venues. case. You got a gym. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, I, I'm trying to remember exactly what I, I think, well, Packy, you know, Packy from our band, he, he came from another band that had done a good amount of touring prior to bronze radio starting. Oh, and did he? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And he kind of showed us the way of like, you know, this is how we do it if we want to do it for real. And yeah. so, you know, we went out and we got a van and we got a trailer and, and did the whole thing. And then when you start putting your, your nice instruments in a trailer, if they're not in a road case, they're just going to get destroyed. You know, if, if you're putting drums in soft bags or something, you know, it's, it's tricky. So, so, you know, we just had to go out and get all that stuff together and, and we, we figured it out as we went, you know, we made all the mistakes. We, we broke gear in that trailer and we were like, Oh shit. Okay. We gotta, gotta spend the money to get the actual good stuff to protect this. And yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, it, 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 it we've, we've never, been shy of overdoing it i guess you could say and right. even to this day and we're still very much a diy operation you know before we didn't really have any crew starting out and now depending on the tour or the situation we'll take out anywhere from maybe two to four crew people but um and it's nice to have those extra hands but of course we're still very much doing a lot of that ourselves so right in a way we, we want to make it easier on ourselves but at the same time we don't want to do that at the expense of feeling like we're missing something in our show and you know recently that meant bringing out a whole lighting rig that we ran off of a a, a laptop on stage and had to set up and tear down every night and you it guys was, ran it, it on a, on stage we did yeah we we ran it um we we synced it with with our backing tracks so that every night it would it would do the same light show. So we had somebody who programmed Whoa. the lights for us. Yeah, it's really cool. It's like um, you do it through MIDI, and it just added this extra element to the show where it, it just happened automatically. So we didn't have to bring a lighting director around, which is nice because you know that's a very expensive thing to tra- a person to travel with. Oh yeah, and uh, and even even at the level that we're at, there's not a lot of venues where there's going to be a lot of consistency in the lighting setups. So, um, this way we, we had full control where we kept it consistent every night and on every downbeat or every hit or whatever, there was a lighting cue that was synced with it. And so, 
um, having that consistency every night was huge and it gave us more confidence in just how the show looked and was presented and, but it was a lot of work, you know, it was an extra, an extra hour of setup every night on top of the, you know, many, many hours already. And so, um, you know, we're, we're, we're never afraid to, to do that, that work, but as we get into our thirties now, it starts to hurt our backs a lot more. And, Oh yeah. <laughs> you know? Oh yeah. Yeah. Now, now the carbon leaf guys, forties and going on 50 <laughs> in, the, wow. in the van. So yeah, it's hard. I mean, I, I always want to set up a, like a time-lapse camera before the setup every night, because we do travel with a lighting rig and a lighting guy and, and, uh, you know, uh, Doug Ross, who I believe, you know, Doug, right? Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. So Doug, um, you know, does a great job, but everybody works, everybody moves stuff, whether it's Barry setting up merch and, you know, people get to come and see the, see the final product of what you've been working on for since, you know, 1 PM or 2 PM, but it's just like, it's so much stuff. And then that hour out, sometimes two hours of setup and then sound check. And then the show goes by like that. And then, right. and then it's time to <laughs> the do it all part over of the day. Again. It's the shortest part of the day. It's the best part. That's what makes it all worth it. Worth it. What, what they say, you, you know, you get paid, you get paid to set up and break down. Yeah. Uh, paid to travel and, and set up gear and the show is the reward. The show is the reward. That's part of the payment. But yeah, I mean, I always, I always envied, not envied, but like I looked like you guys really were doing it like the right way. And I feel like when we uh, went on that tour with you guys, it really showed us like, oh shit, these guys have their shit together. <laughs> and oh, wow. whether it was like Dan working on a song with Chris or, uh, you know, in, in the green room or something, I think it was at Tamney Hall in, in Worcester. I remember, I, I oh, remember, yeah. I remember all these like little random things like them working <laughs> on a song in there. And then they had one of those like ring games where you drop the ring and, it, and you try to hook it on the, the hook that's up against the wall. They had one of those there. I don't know. I remember okay, the stupid, yeah. the stupidest shit. Um, it's all these like, cool things that that you guys did that kind of added up to a really fun and and really uh educational experience for us um yeah right on man so i I mean i would love i would love if we could do that again that'd be great hell yeah and i think that was the first time we all met i think that was the first time i met you was on that tour right it was because i never made the connection with with you guys and mark adele and i i didn't realize that you guys all went to heart and and that was like a really cool i mean it was like the perfect opening and uh headlining like scenario because there was a connection between both bands and that Mm -hmm. allowed us we didn't have that like oh, we're not going to talk to the opener or or like we're not going to talk to the, um, you know, no relationship between the two bands. We were always like doing stuff together and we, we like built really good relationships with each other. So it was, it was such a fun, it was such a fun time. It was great. I feel like we were all, we were all just like best friends from day one, which was, I mean, you can't ask for much more when you're touring. It's so rare. We, We've all been in situations where, you know, we've probably toured with people that I'm not going to say we've ever toured with anyone we don't like, but certainly have been in positions where there's 
I don't know, there's people that we like touring with more than others. And Yeah, for um, sure. And obviously you guys are at the top of the list. Yeah, if you're in any job, you know, it's like you know, good vibes, bad vibes. Right, exactly. But we, yeah, we did we did like pretty much everything together on that tour. I remember we did a couple radio station visits together and we just, all of us in the room together and doing these big open interviews with everybody, which that was amazing. It was so yes. much fun. Yeah, it was great. It was great. I would, that would be when all this mess is over i would love to do the the dan mills uh, bronze radio tour again that'd be great um yeah, let's ten, mark it down for post-covid ten, 2021 10 years ago that was 10 years ago that was a decade ago wow. holy shit wow man <laughs> man that's crazy um Oof. yeah it's changed still one of my most prized possessions that drum head that everyone signed that sign that was great oh, um cool. right on so going from bands that have a ton of shit on the road, actually, I guess, I guess this wouldn't totally match up with that, but you did the, um, uh, the tour with Steven where it was just you and Steven. What was that? Oh, yeah. What, uh, what was the name of that tour? That was called, I think he called it the, uh, every night is a little different tour. Every night's a little different tour. I do like <laughs> the way he, how he names all the tours. It's, it's pretty clever and he hits all like the, the, um, the lanyards and the sweatshirts. So it's, it's pretty, right. it's pretty legit how he does everything. Um, how, what was that like? I know it's always a struggle and I did a tour with Steven where it was me, him and, uh, and Andy, Andy Sorensen. Um, right. Yeah. And, uh, and it's always difficult when there's no bass and there's, and there's drums. Every drummer, mm. I feel like feels like that way when you're missing a little bit, the low end, you have to cover more than your, than your ears want to, you know what I mean? Um, sure. Sure. What was that like playing all the shows with just him. I bet there was like a bit of freedom in it. There, there was, there was, there was definitely some freedom. And I think it was, it was one of the first times as a drummer that I had to look at things less like drummery. Okay. And c because, you know, to play a lot of those songs, if, if I were to maybe to, if I would have played the same groove that was on the record where there's a lot more instrumentation and a bass player and some keys and some thicker guitars happening, it, it would have felt really empty. So I think it was about, in a lot of the cases it was about simplifying those parts so they didn't feel too like rock and roll but maybe more like like a percussionist would um would approach like folk music okay and so yeah and and um so you know it was, it was a lot of brushes because i feel like brushes are always great in those kind of scenarios because they they just can fill up more space um just by the way that they can sustain on the drum um, I, I had my, my SPD pad, my, my, you know, drum electronic drum pad with me. And on that I had like some keyboard sounds queued up. So if oh. I knew there was like a, for, you know, for example, like on my favorite place, there's oh, that the bang, very, bang, bang, bang. Yeah, yeah, it's a very simple, simple melody, but it's very important to the song. Right. And so what I, I would figure out a way that I, I would just program that out in the pad and I knew what pad core, you know, corresponded to what note and I would play that while maybe i was you know playing kick and shaker with the with the other hand and that's cool just a way to like add some some other layers in there because I, I think no matter what if, if you're in a two-person band or a, a five or six person band you just there are certain elements that you just don't want to 
be without. And to right. me, like some of those songs would have would have felt empty if they didn't have those really key melodies. And and I never play melodies, but it, I, it was like I had to figure out a way to adapt and try to throw as many layers in there as I could. And, and then plus the singing, of course, which which you do a, a ton of, and you're you're so amazing at. I wish I had the voice that you had, yeah. but. Um, but I try. You have, great, and you have a great voice, Rob. Uh, uh, I, I can blend, but you that's those, about it. I, yeah, but the uh, thing is, not not everyone can do that. Not everyone can do that. And the trick to it is, and I find, um, I find some people are easier to blend with than others because uh, it has to do with the timbre of your voice and how much they move around. Steven is such a consistent singer that mm-hmm. it that it makes it made it easy it, it's easy to sing harmonies with with steven and you do it so great i feel like i um you know it, it came very naturally for for the timbre of my voice and the range of my voice um to do it with him i don't have as easy of a time singing backgrounds with with carbon leaf because terry covers a lot of the excuse me covers a lot of the range that I would normally hit and he does a lot of thirds and fifths in his part. So I have to really weave my way in and out, which is a challenge, but, um, sure. but especially, yeah, singing, singing harmonies with, with Steve, it was just amazing how consistent it was, which made, which made you able to, or made me able to, uh, kind of fix my performance from night to night and and uh and be able to do do things and just get better at them and like Mm. you said the uh those those signature melodies and those signature parts that's another thing of how um not particular but but um you know we always worked on those parts those parts always had to be there because they were so important there's such key elements to the songs that people need to hear that's awesome yeah. that, that you did that on that tour. That's really cool. Thanks. Um, and, and yeah, like you're saying, you know, Stephen is he is in- incredibly easy to sing with because yeah. you're right. I mean, the consistency is so so nice. And 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 another really good point you just brought up is that um, he he leaves that freedom. I think for both of us, I think we we both kind of sing in the same range and and probably a lot of the same lines that we've sang yeah. with him over the years. And I think that's just where my ear tends to go, and I'm sure you're the same yeah. in that regard. And then when you get into a, a situation, like when I sing with Bronze Radio Return, you know, now we have five guys on stage singing. And so, um, you know, somebody will kind of take maybe that more intuitive part that, you know, you would you almost hear immediately when the you meat, hear a the melody. The meat and potatoes. Right, exactly. And mm-hmm. then it's about figuring out how do we layer in these other right. other parts so that it doesn't feel like uh, we don't want to make it too colorful and that we're not going to add like a bunch of sevenths and ninths and, you know, jazzy kind of chords. But how do we how do we make it feel big and um and get everybody's voice in there so that it's it's blending and so, and sometimes yeah. that can be a real challenge and and maybe and sometimes we're probably guilty of overdoing it too. You know, sometimes we maybe don't need five voices in there when we could get away with two or three. But yeah, we always try to make sure everyone has a part for almost everything. Well, you guys are a, are a musically smart band. Like you guys all went to music school. You all have an under understanding of what's what's happening, kind of under the hood of the songs. But that's an, actually an interesting thing that, um, like Carbon Leaf. I know that Barry particularly people hear harmony 
in very different ways. Like naturally, like you said, the the part that someone is naturally going to go to is usually the third. And not to mm-hmm. get too music nerdy about it, but usually you'll hear a third and a fifth, and that sounds like a really nice, pretty chord, and it sounds very lush and, and great. Uh, sometimes you'll add the seventh in, whatever. And Barry, like, hates to have it sound so predictable. So mm-hmm. that's that's some like a there's a lot of interesting harmonies and uh lots of close like tension and and stuff in the harmonies which which makes it difficult to remember the things live especially if you're like me like not not a hired guy anymore but if you're coming in and you're trying to find your place in the harmony it's it's tough it's really really difficult when when even some of the harmony parts since they're so unique those are signature parts so you don't want to ha- mm-hmm. you don't want to step all over a harmony that someone is used to hearing like i i wouldn't be able to change the harmony and what about everything or like life less ordinary people would people would kill me <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's a great point i mean and especially and uh, as a drummer and i'm not trying to make any excuses for drummers here but as a drummer, you don't have anything that you're actually playing that's giving you a pitch reference. And right. so, you know, you're relying on the other instruments. Um, and, and for the intuitive stuff, you know, that, that's fine. But you're, like, you're right. When you say you have a very intricate part where, like, the, mo- the movement is very close together and sometimes maybe you're only, like, a step away from somebody because it's something more colorful, it's very hard as a drummer, I find, to, like, always nail that without a lot of practice. Mm, yeah. And just because yeah. I can't, I can't be like, All right, oh, where, where's my start? I can't just like strum a chord and be like, I know where my starting note is gotcha. in that chord. Like maybe somebody else on stage could. Um, I don't know if I'm putting that eloquently, but no, I know um, what you mean. Like you say you're you're on a root chord, but your note is is a ninth. So it's hard. Right. It's hard to pick that out right off the bat without either singing it before you hear it. Or, you know, doing the thing where it's like, hmm, this is my part and here I (laughs) go. Now I'm singing it and now I'm out. And then now this is my next part. Okay, okay, now I'm singing it. So that You're soul fedging it to the to the side of the stage. Like Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Luckily I I have I'm lucky. I have relative pitch. So I can I can kinda pick things out that I've heard before. I still have to practice stuff, but I can I can kind of get in there before um i can kind of i can fake it i can i can fake it more than (laughs) than most people but yeah it's it's it is a difficult thing when you're trying to work things out especially with five people like you guys like who is singing who out of you guys is singing most of the you know the meat and potatoes parts uh i'd say that usually matt our keys player matt is okay yeah, he's kind of. I, I I would say he's, he's quietly working the levers. <laughs> exactly. He's more or less like the secondary singer in the band. Okay. Um, but you know, we we've made a couple lineup changes in the last couple years. Um, we have two new guys that have been playing with us, and both of them have amazing voices. So we, for this last tour that we did with them, they they had a lot more responsibility singing wise, and and it it was, it brought a lot to the table and it took, it took some of that pressure off of me because being back there now with, 
there's just a, there was a lot going on. I mean, when when we were talking about the lighting stuff before, and like uh, I'm running that all back there, wow, while drumming, singing, you know, it's it 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 feels like a, a lot sometimes. And again, it, it is just, a lot. Something you, you just have to practice it. Oh, you know, when when I practice for a tour now, it's kind of like making sure I just have all these electronic cues happening right more than it is actually practicing the drums themselves. You know, right, right. And just getting used to like that muscle memory of all right, I hit this, hit this then, and you know, because sometimes you're you're starting, um, you know, starting a, a backing track or like the lights in in the middle of a song because maybe it starts off and we want it to flow tempo wise, and then we get to a point where it's like, all right, that's got to kick in. So if you miss that, then yeah, and if you miss that cue, then it it throws off, it it can throw off the rest of the tune and not not that it's going to mess up the guys in the band but it'll mess up the way that the show looks because then the lights won't be there and so you know it's uh it's so what i was getting at though is it's nice to have those guys who are amazing singers take some of that off of off of my plate now that's yeah that's pretty awesome i see i thought yeah. i had it bad i just started using uh roland spdx pad on the last tour that we did and i thought i had a bad had it having to hit literally one pad <laughs> for one song <laughs> and then i had i had like a tambourine but that in there. one pad man if you that, one, that one pad seriously though if that if that one <laughs> fucked up it was bad news <laughs> that, that's a potential stop and restart yeah i have such a love-hate relationship with electronics on drums i know it, it can be such an amazing thing but it can also just derail it can derail it's amazing i remember when i first got my my rolling sample pad i was like i was so excited but then i didn't use it for like a year and i was and i was like i need to use this thing you know they're expensive and they're such powerful tools i just you know i pretty much forced it upon carbon leaf (laughs) to be able to (laughs) use it and it worked out it's great but you know you talk about a love hate relationship with that thing. It's like, I'm not super, I mean, I'm, I'm not super technically savvy when it comes to making samples and, you know, importing them into the thing and organizing it. And, uh, when it comes to file organization, I am the worst. You should see my desktop right now, but it's like, (laughs) you know, finally, like when I finally got it working, and hit the thing and it all worked the way I wanted it to. It was like the biggest, you know, celebration. <laughs> it was like, holy fuck. Such a know? win. Yeah. I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't believe it. It was like, I'm going to use this all the time now. Right. Then, then it like opens up that, that door, that part of your mind to be like, okay, now, now that I got that, I can, yeah. maybe I'll take it to this place and try this. Yeah. And then you got to watch yourself that you don't go too far in that direction. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I'll never forget. I, I got a, kind of a funny story. I was, um, I was touring right after college. I was touring with a Broadway show, just playing, like playing in the pit. And the whole tour was on Roland V drums, like electronic drums. Okay. And so, and what they had done was they had mapped every scene out for every, like every part of the show. And so I had to, you know, toggle between like, here's, you know, act one, here's the next song, you know, so you got to hit like an up or down button to get through all that. And I remember it was my first show of the whole tour and I came in in the middle of it cause I was subbing for somebody for two months or so and first show. And it's at this like really quiet part where I'm just supposed to hit this one Tom beat, but I forgot to change the scene and that particular pad was programmed to be a bongo roll. Oh. <laughs> so like I hit this expecting it to go doom, 
and it just goes <laughs> and it doesn't stop <laughs> and i'm sitting there like panicking the people on stage are like what is going on what? that is not what's supposed to be happening it was uh and there's if there's uh, one I mean, thing actors are good at it is adapting <laughs> to the situations around them <laughs> and holding a grudge too apparently. yeah really good at that oh my god but I, I luckily i didn't get fired but i i thought i was going to for a second there that is oh my god you must have you must your whole body must have gotten cold oh my god that is yeah that is uh that's not a great feeling but you know it happens but i'll to tell everybody. you what I, I never i never made that mistake again oh of so course not that, that was the lesson of course not what uh <laughs> what sh- do you care to say what show it was oh uh, yeah it was um it was Avita. Avita? Don't cry for yeah. Don't cry for me, Argentina. All that. Oh yeah. Stuff. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I didn't yeah, know that you did cool. that. Yeah. It was, it was a very brief thing that I did, and you know, a friend of mine was uh, was doing a lot of Broadway shows at the time, and he needed a sub for for a little while, and those tours go out for like nine, ten, eleven months at a clip. Yeah. And yeah, so, yeah. Um, you know, at that point, my reading chops <laughs> were pretty good, and um, so I got you know they sent me the book and figured it out and went on the road with them for a bit and so it was a it was a way different thing than touring with a band but i guess it, it was in a way my first touring experience because before that i was mostly playing local kind of stuff and then that was my first chance to get out and see the country and travel around playing music it's so cool there's no there's no better life experience than getting out and traveling and especially playing music um yeah you mentioned Agreed. uh the um, personnel changes in bronze was that mostly a uh, like a musical direction kind of kind of thing you guys are doing different stuff and you wanted to switch things up like what kind of prompted that you know I don't know how much you want to feel like feel comfortable getting into or yeah no um, um, I'm definitely down to, to talk about it there, I, I, I can only say so much about it but i will say that in in one of the instances it was definitely like a musical direction kind of thing and um as as we evolved as a band our sound changed i mean if if you go and listen to our first record to the most recent one that we put out there's a lot of things that are oh yeah different about this band very different um and we started off with i mean even our very first stuff was almost more bluesy than anything it was kind of like like blues roots rock and then we uh, we ended up getting really inspired by things in the studio and just different sounds and we kind of took more of this indie direction Hmm. but but because because of how much that sound started to change over the years we just didn't quite have the same needs for certain sounds that we once did and so so we had to make make uh one change there and then for the other for the other one it was a it was a band member that actually just needed to leave the band for some personal reasons yeah so, yeah and um we're on good terms and that's great and we wish everyone the best and and we're very happy with the guys that we have now so yeah that's awesome well it's nice yeah. it's nice when um when things work out like amicably and you know it's always a tough it's always a tough situation because you travel you travel with people for so long and you, and you know them so well you guys are like essentially brothers and it, it must it must have just been really tough you know either way whether it's whether it's a good thing overall i mean it, it's a good thing overall for the band moving forward but you know it must have been tough and and uh you know yeah 
Yeah, it is. It's like you said, it's, it's a family. Those are, you know, I've spent more time with my bandmates than probably anyone else in my life aside from maybe my wife and my parents. Yeah. So, um, and yeah, you're right. It's, it's a very tough thing to part ways with people that you spend that much time with and have that much history with. Um, and at the end of the day, I mean, it's, I hate to say it, but some of the, sometimes it's, this is a business as much as it is art and fun. And, um, but you know, sometimes you just have to make certain business decisions. Yeah. Well then when you want to move forward, I mean, it's not like, it's not like you're playing in, in the garage once a week and then maybe gigging once a month. It's like, it's, it's your life. And if you want to move forward in a different direction, you have to make, you have to be able to make the decisions to do so, you know, and, and Mm -hmm. to do it is, is hard and decisions are tough and uh you you have to you have to make them when you when you have to make them yeah and actually on on that note i don't know if i ever and and you can stop me if you're not okay talking about it but i don't know if i ever heard the story of how you ended up with carbon leaf and and kind of how that shift happened yeah um yeah totally i i'm trying to think of the timeline um because i've been in a lot of bands rob a lot of bands. Um, I I know, man. I've seen them all. Well, yeah. most of them. Um, so I was on the rock boat with with Kellogg, and we were doing. Um, that was it. Was my first rock boat. I was trying to meet as many people as I possibly could. Um, I don't. You guys, you guys weren't on that boat. You were on the one after that. But um, I met carter and we kind of jammed a bit i had known doug uh sound guy because he he had done uh tour to 40 with steven okay so that was kind of like a connection between between the two bands and i played a bit with carter carbon leaf needed was going through a million drummers that year (laughs) and uh you know they needed they had a lot of changes and they found uh like kurt leone played with them uh from from the alternate roots and and he was just uh you know he has a lot of stuff going on i'm sure and you know he sounded great with those guys but they needed somebody for their it was like their holiday tour um so it was a few shows kind of a tryout uh sort of thing i learned i had to learn all like a lot of material in a very short period of time um which isn't the most fun thing to do because I have kind of a nightmare story about doing that with, with Steven for the first time. <laughs> it was okay, like, Okay, we'll I, get to that. We'll, we'll get to that one. That's a fun story. <laughs> but um, it's, actually, it's actually a really, a really great and kind of an inspiring story. But um, I uh, got offered to do, to do those shows. Barry sent me an email, uh, kind of connected the two of us. I went down to Richmond um hung out with them we all like really clicked you know i I hung out with with them kind of like every hour (laughs) of of the day and it was it was great really really connected well um the music music was great and uh you know steven was transitioning more to uh solo tours he was gonna Mm -hmm. he was starting to uh work on the book and um and also, I think I think he really missed playing with Boots. Um, mm. 
you know, I think the connection that they've had for such a long time uh, with the Sixers and, um, you know, th- their relationship over the years, I think that that is who needed to be behind the drums. And maybe he didn't know it at that time, but I think he he's loving it now. Hmm. So Carbon Leaf asked so, me... No, go ahead. Sorry. Uh, I was going to say, so, um, so did... Did Carbon Leaf have a like a long time drummer who was a band member, or, yeah. or were they always a hired gun kind of? So Jason Neal was the Carbon Leaf drummer for for a very long time, and uh, probably ten years. It's so funny because that band is it's, they've been doing it for such a long time, and you forget how long it's been. But Jason was in the band for a long time. He had a couple kids. Um, you know, I don't know. I don't know the ins and outs of the whole of the whole situation between them. I know that everything is cool between between them. I just think that Jason needed to get off the road. I think that's pretty much the extent of it. I don't know any of the details really, but that year they were looking for a bunch of drummers, and then they eventually had me do the holiday holiday thing, and and they um, they offered me the full time gig after that. Nice. So that was that was kind of it. And it was a tough thing. You know, it was, I, I sat down with Steven kind of told him what I was doing and it was hard. It was a hard conversation. And, um, but you know, like I said, he was kind of transitioning to do a lot of, uh, solo acoustic shows and, and work on the book, do a lot of more speaking engagements. So it just didn't make, it made more sense for me to have a full-time thing that would pay the bills and, and, uh, and, you know, just between just having more work. Um, right. And then it turned into being a full member and, and, you know, falling in love with, with the whole fan base and, and, uh, doing the podcast. So it's just been, it's been a really great experience. Um, that's awesome. Uh, yeah. So another question for you, how do you feel ver- the being a band member versus, a side man because you've been able to dip into both worlds a lot i mean you you still do side man work even yeah. though you are a band member of course yep but how do you feel how do you feel about like going from one where you were doing a lot of side man stuff to now like full-fledged band member yeah my ego has a hard time being a hired guy and that's mm. the tr- and that's the truth so i like I enjoy doing it. I enjoy the work, but ultimately I don't like not having a say in, in the goings on of, of either the music or, uh, or the way, you know, just, just the overall goings on of being in a band and stuff. I have a hard time Mm -hmm. not having, having a vote or, or a say, and not that I didn't have that. It's just, you know, when you're a hired guy, you're not really, they're not um, really consulting you all the time. And when things right. happen and you don't, and you just have to kind of go along with it when it doesn't really fit your artistic, what, what you think should be happening. Um, that's hard. That's a hard thing to keep your mouth shut. And, yeah. um, and I just, uh, I love, I love being a part of a team. I like, I like bouncing ide- ideas. Um, I like being able to have my voice heard, you know, it's just, uh, it's good. It's a good situation, you know, and, and they're all different. They're all different, but yeah, I mean, how yeah, those are all great points. I mean, yeah, it's hard. I mean, and people find out it's like, Oh, I, 
if if you can't decide or if you have the problem that I have, like, you know, if you, if you have a big personality and you're opinionated, um, which I am, it's hard. It's you're just not you're not going to have as good of a time if you're always if you're a hired guy. If you mm-hmm. have the skill set to, you know, run a band or, or be more of a leader or be more of a, like a equal parts of a team, then that's what you should do. You know, it's definitely hindered me and it's also gotten me further than I, you know, thought I would. So I don't know. Yeah. Same question I mean, to you. Like, do you, is like, what do you, you know, I can imagine being kind of like the business representative of bronze is a big weight on your shoulders it's a lot of work i'm sure to deal with um yeah it's definitely a lot of work and you know i will say i mean i i i i resonate with so many of the points that you you made there i mean i love being in a band i love being part of a team um having a say having my voice heard all of that um being able to make all those important decisions for better or worse you know we've made some good decisions we've made a lot of bad decisions and we have to we have to own up to that and take that responsibility, which is, which is tough. And, and, you know, if a show sells great, we get to fly high and feel rewarded. But if a show doesn't sell great, we have to feel the pressure of, of that as, as the band members. And so, you know, there are, there are certainly ups and downs to both sides of it. And when you come in as a side man, you're just, you're not as concerned with that stuff. You're just there to, you're doing one job. You're, you're there to play your ass off and yep. do that as best you can. And, so, you know, the, I, I feel like the grass is always greener, though. I, I sometimes I'm just like, man, wouldn't it be fun to go out and play with some more people? And then, you know, there, those opportunities happen. But um, but then you're like, oh, man, you do that for a little bit. You're like, I really miss being in my band where yeah. it's 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 more of a team thing and not so much, uh, you know, a, a group of individuals that are trying to make it happen together. Um, yeah. It's like you realize that you have to switch it up every now and then just to kind of open your brain back up and then you come back with those new experiences in your in your bubble, which is like really fun to to take those new things and bring it to your to your dudes, you know? Yeah. And it's I think it's really important to have those experiences too. Um you know, uh, oh, just just the trying to balance the schedule though then is 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 tricky because you know as when you're when you're a band member, that is that is your commitment 100. percent You know, there is no subbing yourself out for right. a band that you're a member of. I mean, may, maybe some bands do it that way, but certainly not our band. So either we are all doing something together or we're not, and so that means if um, you know if we have one show booked and and I get offered to go do a month of dates with Steven or somebody else, then I have to say no to that month of dates because there's one or two bronze radio shows on the books. Right. And that's, you know, that may, that's, that's tricky, but, but at the end of the day, I think it, that camaraderie and just the support system that we have within the band is, is important. And you have to make those tough decisions and just say, you know what, sorry, I can't do that. Yeah. And I feel like if, that that's that's a really great way you describe that it's like if someone asks you to ask you to do something like the first year i was a member of carbon leaf i was supposed to play a wedding in you know say i think it was like july 13th or something last or a couple years ago and then i found out that carbon leaf had a show on 
on like the next day in Richmond and I could not make the two days where it just would not have worked out timing wise. And I had to ditch this like really good paying wedding gig, uh, to just do this one gig with, with carbon leaf where if it was like a day apart, I would have made like triple the money. You know, so it's like it right. kind kind of ruins <laughs> that that week or that month. But I find that if that something like that happens, it gets your like hustle brain going, and you're like, all right, well, I missed out on that. So how am I going to make up for what I could have made in that week? And I and I try to book something. You know, luckily I can book solo gigs, so I booked maybe two solo gigs. Um, you know that week and i kind of made it back so mm-hmm. you have to you have to use your resources at hand to figure out the ways that you can like maximize whatever uh whatever money you could make and whatever you lost to you know since you weren't able to do some gig or i don't know it's it's a it's a pain in the ass <laughs> so, <laughs> It, it can be, but you know, it's hard. You can't, can't always have it all. You got to no. prioritize. And, and I will say that I, I think being in a band, it's important to know that everyone is, is in it to win it. And they're not out there just trying to like find another opportunity. Right. And so it's, um, you know, there needs to, there, there can't, you can never make someone feel bad because you have to miss an opportunity because like what I want to be doing is playing with my band all the time. Yeah. And so, yeah. And if, if other opportunities fall into place that go around that and don't interfere with that, amazing. Love it. I, I would love to be busy 350 days a year, but, um, you know, sometimes it just is impossible to do when you're committed to one, one right. thing like that. And that, I mean, that loyalty to have for that band or whatever artists that, you know, another drummer, place for like it's never a good look if if you're like all right well this other thing i want to do this and but i don't want to look bad to my you know my main priority here so you never want to drop the main priority to just do to do a one-off gig with somebody it's just so short-sighted you know um you just yeah having loyalty of your of of your band and, and, uh, being a part of that family and a part of that team is just like, there's really, there's really no, no replacement for it in my opinion. Yeah. And, and I think, I think that's what, what keeps bands together. I mean, carbon leaf has been together. You guys, what, 25, is it 25 or more years? I think it's 27 now. 27. Wow. I mean, that's amazing. And we're, we're, we're about half that, but yeah, we did the 25th anniversary. So maybe it's, it's definitely at least 26. Wow. So it's a long time. That's a long time to be around the same people. <laughs> That's unbelievable. But I mean, it just goes to show that that, that dedication and, you know, decades of hard work and, and everybody still does it and loves it. And that's amazing. And, and, I, and that's, that's, I, I feel like that's where we are too. And like I said, it's been maybe about half as long. I think we've been together for about 12 or 13 years now. Yeah. Um, but that's, that's what's kept us together is that, you know, we, we still talk to each other on the phone many, many times a week and we're constantly emailing and texting all day and scheming, like what's the next thing that we're focusing on. And, and so I don't know, we, 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 we need that. We need that to keep each other inspired and keep this going. 
All right, that is the episode part one with Rob Griffith. Please stick around for the music, um, for the sneak preview of their, not sneak preview, we're just going to play it. We're just going to play the song of the new song from Bronze Radio Return, Still Wandering, and uh, make sure you tune in next week for part two of this two-parter, and uh, I'll see you I'll see you then. Bye.
found I'm still